The first of my posts to the Facebook group was a focus summary of the first night. As the story opens, our narrator is reflecting on a wonderful night, the sort of night that can be experienced only in the idealism of youth. He then tells us that he nevertheless was oppressed by a strange despondency. It seemed to him that everyone was leaving him behind in Petersburg, packing up for their summer villas. We then learn that though he knows everyone in Petersburg, he is acquainted with no one. He is a loner, living in a grimy, cobwebbed garret, who studies people from afar and at best almost bows to them. He experiences as close a kinship with the houses as he does with the people, and feels almost as if they greet him, inquire about him, and tell him their troubles. On this particular night, he was feeling inexplicably ill at ease, realizing only later it was because he felt everyone was giving him the slip. Whether the people he passed were buying flowers, boarding cabs, or driving wagons loaded with domestic goods, he imagined every one of them to be making his way to the bosom of his family, to the summer villa. He felt ashamed that he himself had no one, and that the people of the city had forgotten him, as if he were the stranger to them that he in fact is. As he walked beyond the city gates, escaping the stifling city walls, it seemed as though a burden were falling off his soul. He felt pleased as never before at the inexpressibly touching delights of spring. And yet, he says portentously, his night was better than his day. Humming his way along the canal embankment, back into the city, he saw a young woman leaning over the railing, staring at the muddy water below. And he was struck so immediately with a sense of adventure that he passed her with pounding heart. When he heard from her a muffled sob, he saw this as his moment. He felt a brief hesitation to approach her, wanting to avoid romance novel clichés, when she suddenly fled from and was pursued by a gentleman staggering in the street. Our narrator then scared the gentleman away with his knotted stick and took her by the arm. He scolded the woman for driving him away, as if she knew him any better than her pursuer. But she said she did seem to know him a little, instantly, observing that he was trembling. He confessed to her ashamedly, that he was indeed shy with women, a complete stranger to them. She reassured him that all women like timidity, a comment he says runs the ironic risk of making him no longer timid. He felt a comfort with her that prompted him to pour out his heart. He told her he had never so much as spoken to a woman, but that he had long made up romances in his dreams. She laughed as he told her how he has yearned for just two kind words from some aristocratic lady. She said that no kind-hearted woman could deny him the words he so timidly asks for, and then corrected herself, saying that they would surely think him a madman, and that she was speaking only for herself. She asked what prompted him to approach her, 
and he stumbled over an explanation that really reduces only to that inexplicable feeling that overcame him. This was his moment. Then she thanked him, said they had arrived at her home, and bid him goodbye. He could not let his moment go, and he said he would come again the next day. He is a dreamer, he said, and he will revisit this moment forever in his dreams. She agreed to meet him, stressing that she was not making an appointment with him, but that she had to be there for another secret reason. But she made him swear he would not fall in love with her. He promised, unconvincingly, gripping her hand and saying he didn't know how he would survive the next twenty-four hours. She said that perhaps the next day she would tell him her secret, and they parted. The next of my posts was called, What is a Dreamer? The subtitle of White Nights is, A Sentimental Story from the Diary of a Dreamer. So, what is a Dostoevskian dreamer? Our picture may evolve as the story goes on, but let's start with the one that emerges here. Like so many of Dostoevsky's characters, he is a loner, a recluse, cut off from and silently observing the society that surrounds him. Our narrator in this story has been living in Petersburg for eight years, and yet has hardly an acquaintance. His contact with people is limited to regular passing encounters with the same people on the same streets, a careful study of their countenances, and an empathy for the changing moods he observes on their faces from a distance. That a man he routinely passes once touched his hat by way of greeting and then stopped himself, realizing that they don't actually know each other, is the closest thing he has ever experienced to friendship. He has never been in love, never spoken to, nor even dreamed he would speak to, a woman. Our dreamer also infuses the world around him with poetic and sentimental meaning. In the beauty of the Petersburg spring, he sees the blush of a consumptive girl in love. In a once charming pink house, now painted a garish yellow, he sees a villainously disfigured friend. In the bustle of people on the Petersburg streets, he sees all men making their way to the bosom of their family. He passes friendly strangers smoking cigars and feels himself in the vibrant streets of Italy. Unlike so many of Dostoevsky's loners, this dreamer is an unabashedly starry-eyed romantic. He makes up regular romances in his dreams, conjuring and falling in love with his ideal woman. And, in a young woman with a charming yellow hat and jaunty black mantle, leaning over a railing and letting out a little sob, he sees instantly a heart-pounding romantic adventure. Despite his protestations and promises, he falls so immediately in love that he doesn't know how he will survive the night until he can see her again. I'm unsure whether one quality of our narrator should be attributed to the dreamer or regarded as an exception prompted by this chance encounter. And that is, 
his guileless and candid confessions of his deepest thoughts and feelings at the first opportunity he has to share them. I think it is both. That he speaks to her in such unrestrainedly romantic terms arises from his nature as a dreamer. That he is willing to speak them to her is a departure from the dreamer's tendency to keep to himself and live out those romances in his own head. In any case, once faced with the opportunity to open his heart, the dreamer's expressions take on an unabashedly poetic and romantic form. Having known her only a moment, he tells her, I shall be dreaming of you all night, a whole week, a whole year. I shall certainly come here tomorrow, just here, to this place, just at the same hour, and I shall be happy remembering today. This place is dear to me already. And later, it is as though a miracle had befallen me. My God, where am I? In two minutes, you have made me happy forever. We will see what becomes of our dreamer on the nights ahead. The next of my posts was called The Charm of Dostoevsky. In his biography, Dostoevsky, a writer in his time, author Joseph Frank makes the very understandable comment that charm is not a literary attribute that one ordinarily associates with Dostoevsky. And yet, White Nights abounds with charm. I love the unabashedly romantic descriptions of the environment of Petersburg, right from the story's start. The description of a night sky. The sky was so starry, so bright, that, looking at it, one could not help asking oneself whether ill-humored and capricious people could live under such a sky. Or of the delights of spring. There is something inexpressibly touching in nature round Petersburg, when, at the approach of spring, she puts forth all her might, all the powers bestowed on her by heaven, when she breaks into leaf, decks herself out, and spangles herself with flowers. I loved the pleasures and contentment and even friendship our dreamer enjoys, despite being entirely alone. He knows his neighbors intimately, he says, because he has made a careful study of their faces. He feels a kinship with the houses he passes on his daily walk. And as he makes his way down the canal embankment, he says, I walked along singing, for when I am happy, I am always humming to myself like every happy man who has no friend or acquaintance with whom to share his joy. This is no dark, brooding recluse. I was charmed by the guileless, uninhibited, endearing openness of the confessions mentioned before in my account of the dreamer. And though we have only just met her, we are given a glimpse of the charm of the girl on which our dreamer has bestowed his affections. She giggles with tender amusement at his exaggeratedly romantic declarations, and though she knows other women would be put off by it and declare him a madman, she has her own mind. I hope you are looking forward to spending more time in this charming universe as much as I am. <laughs>